Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, we have an amazing guest today. We're here with Jen Carroll, one of the stars of season six, one of our favorite guests here on the podcast, uh, and our favorite Philadelphian. 
Um, This is fantastic. Jen, how are you? I'm doing really well. Uh, You know, back on season six. So it's kind of fun to like look back and see how, see how I've changed and see like what a baby I was back then. It's awesome. Like young baby, not baby, baby. What were you, yeah. What were you doing at this point in your, like set the stage for what Jennifer Carroll was doing before she went on top chef. So before I went on Top Chef season six, I had just recently opened 10 Arts by Eric Repair in the Ritz-Carlton in Philadelphia. So I was there for almost a year and that was my first, you know, chef role and back home in Philadelphia for the first time after living in New York and San Francisco for a really long time. It was back home and, you know, just figuring things back out again. (laughs) Had you watched season six since season six? No. Wow. <laughs> so we're talking like, like 10, 11 years since you last tuned into that. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I don't even know when it was on. 2010? Like nine, nine or 10. 10. Yeah, it was filmed Something in, I think, like 09. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so, <laughs> so like, what was your, I mean, general impressions of who you were? I mean, just the entire scene, the show, you, your place in the world, uh, like you as a chef, uh, what did you, what was the takeaway from those 42 minutes? <laughs> uh, number one, just seeing how young everybody is and seeing, <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm like, God, I'm like, I feel like I'm so, I was like so low energy when being interviewed too. And like, when I thought I had energy, I'm like, I'm talking very like quiet. And like, I think it's because I was really focused and I was really like, I was extremely hard on myself back then. And I was just so all about cooking and only cooking in my career. And I was really nervous about being on the show for the first time because, you know, Chef Repair is actually the one that pushed me to do it. I did not want to apply for the show at all. And I was really worried about how I was going to look to my, you know, my fellow colleagues after working in the industry for a long time. So I think I was just like hyper-focused on that. Um, It's kind of, it's like also kind of crazy. Like I was watching Ashley and Ash and just missing like that, like friendship and bond that we had. Like it's been, we talk over Instagram and over social media, but it's, it's definitely has come down over the years and I would definitely like to like reignite our friendship again. You know, the bond is always still there whenever you, anyone who goes on top chef, whether I know them or not, you're part of the family and you understand like (laughs) the, I don't want to say the horror, but the terror and the, (laughs) the nerve, the nerves and the excitement and all of that that goes into it. So it's that automatic relationship, but I would love to get back together with them. You, um, I noticed how emotional you were at the end of the episode. And, and for those, well, actually, I'll just tell you, um, we are treating this rewatch like no spoilers, like, like okay. whoever wins this whole entire Top Chef thing. So okay. just a word of the wise, we are trying to keep no spoilers for future episodes. <laughs> we could talk all we want about everything up until this point. Um, but in terms of who wins or what happens af- after this episode with you, trying to keep things under under wraps for those who are watching for the first time. Um, but I did notice, and we'll get into this later in the show when we recap it, how emotional it was for you when you saw Ashley go home. Um, do, 
we didn't really get to see a lot of that on this show, just the relationship you had with Ashley and some other uh, contestants on this show. But mm-hmm. who are you closest with um, now that you rewatch this episode and looking back? Ashley was my best friend on the show. We became, we were roommates. We just automatically became close to each other. We bonded with each other. We talked about food. We talked about like lifestyles and, you know, talked about family. And it was just, she was really fun. She has a great personality and we just got along really well. So when she left, I was really sad. You know, I, I get along fairly well with everybody, but she was, you know, she was my support system. So I was not happy to see her go home at all. Um, we'll talk about Ashley because she's had a really fascinating career since then. Mm-hmm. And uh, in New York, uh, especially since, you know, I, I think our, I mean, the viewers understanding is, hey, she is a young woman who grew up, um, you know, in poverty in sort of the backwoods of, I believe, Washington State. And, mm-hmm. you know, she, she kind of rolled out this this kind of really interesting career in Manhattan subsequent to the show. So, I mean, that's one of the fascinating things is Tom and I kind of do a where, where are they now mm-hmm. um, at the conclusion of each show. We, we, can, we can get back to that. But it, it's just one of the fun things about rewatching this season. And I really haven't done rewatches of previous season is then running to the internet and saying, all right, what happened to this show? Some of them, you know, I mean, like, you know, you're, you're well aware of what they were able to accomplish. Like I ate at Michael Voltaggio's restaurant a million times, but uh, others, you know, I'm, I'm not as plugged into the New York scene and just saying, Oh, well, really interesting career that whether it was top chef that precipitated or just their arc as a chef. And mm-hmm. that's been among the really fun things. Yeah, it's, I mean, I know where pretty much everyone from this season is, and it's, it's fun to see, but Ashley, yeah, I mean, she, she was working with Alex Guanaschelli at the time, and so that's also, like, another thing we relate it to is because of me working with Chef Eric Repair, it's like, okay, we, we worked with a really famous, really well-known chef, and we worked underneath them and really got as much as we could out of them and love them. So we both had that mentorship of a great chef, but also a chef that was involved in, you know, the media and the whole like TV scene, which is, was still pretty new, you know, about 11 years ago. It was set, but it wasn't anything like it is today. Well, let's get into the fun here, Kevin. Let's go from the top. Um, and I'm so, I, I didn't, I, I did a little bit of research before I asked you, Jen, to come on this episode, but this was a very interesting episode right up from the top. We learned that you were sick going into this, this, this uh, competition. So Kevin, let's get, let's get started. Yeah. And I want to recognize, Jen, we are not like, we're not going to act like you did this last week. I mean, it's okay. like, yeah. What was he thinking with a mushroom salad with the shiso? Like, Isabella, like, because it's like, like, I'm just trying to imagine. I mean, I don't remember what I like ate last week. So right. I, I certainly, you know, I want to talk about some of the dishes also because like food is different, you know, I mean, you see sort of some of the influences of the era and stuff that mm-hmm. we can kind of like have a good, you know. Um, all right. So let's start with like, let's just start with you. You're okay. quick fire. You finish on the bottom and there was a very bitchy comment, um, <laughs> which I just like, I was trying to get inside your head when you were told. So, so Jen, you did scallops with pistachio and salmon roe. And, and let's talk about the conceit. It was a really dumb conceit with the, oh, um, hated it. Uh, Jen, tell us about the conceit of this particular quick fire. So what we had to do, we, we went up and we had a pull slot machine and we had to get three descriptions and make a dish with it. And mine was nutty American and adventurous. Yeah. 
And, you know, I don't know. I just was not in the right mindset at all. I was sick. I was literally throwing up like in the trash can. They didn't show that. Thank God. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was like, it was not a good, it was not a good day for me, but. <laughs> Kevin, this is her flu game. This is the flu game. This is totally in basketball, like in the parlance of basketball. You, you got the flu and then you go right out there. Yeah. I'm like, you, you work through it. I mean, maybe not so much anymore, but, um, and you know, I, I grab scallops, I grab, uh, caviar roe and, uh, or salmon roe and artichokes. And I slice them really thin and, you know, cook the scallop perfectly. I thought and adventurous, you know what? Salmon roe might not be adventurous or new to um, Tyler Florence, but hey, Tyler Florence. But you know, to my father, (laughs) to I would say a lot of people in America who that is pretty adventurous to them, and a lot of people will not touch that if you tell them what it is. So. You know, he's like, "Oh, we've been we've been doing that in restaurants for years," and I'm like, hmm. right. you're, "You're like, I'm sorry, like, like where are the chapelinas? Like, I'm, we didn't see the crickets out there. Like, what? Like, like I didn't bungee jump while I was cooking this. Like, it, it was kind of it was a little bit obnoxious, I have to say. I mean, I'm sure he, he's probably a good guy, and he was doing these. You know, he clearly was a charitable chef, but like, yeah, he's like on your behalf. I was like, oh, come on, yeah, yeah, I didn't and even I- understand. Go ahead, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and like, I feel like because he thought it was too common of a dish that I put together that it wasn't adventurous enough. And I think that's why like I got put on the bottom, not for overall flavor and execution of the dish. So I was just like, mm-hmm, okay, this is how it's going to go today. <laughs> yeah. Like I was, I was watching and, um, I didn't even suspect you were going to be in the bottom. Like I wasn't like, Ooh, that's going to be a bottom three dish. Uh, usually you can pretty much tell which ones are going to be in the fall on the bottom. Um, but I, Kevin, I didn't even like, I didn't even understand the words that they were putting like stressed. What? Like, like, like what is that? Like, what is, what is food that expresses your stress? I would imagine <laughs> food that expresses your stress would be shitty. Like, yeah, I just put this together. I, my head wasn't in it. I was thinking about, I was just really like, or blue, like, I'm sad and, and let me reflect food that makes me like, it was just, it was a bizarre set of attributes. They wanted you guys to achieve. I still don't understand what stressed is supposed to be in food. I'm like, <laughs> like, is it, I, and I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, is it like a, like you said, like, is it like a piece of meat or a carpaccio that I'm like pounding out? Like, but I'm, or like pasta that I'm rolling? <laughs> I, I like that. St- stuff you stress eat. Like, here's a bag of Doritos. Like, that's what I eat <laughs> so when I'm stressed. Like, <laughs> or, or is it stuff that you strain through something? Like, you stress it out almost like you're, you're maybe pushing through like a strainer or something like that. Maybe there's that. I don't know. Stressed, um, it didn't, like, tired, stressed. I, I guess you're trying to go for like Vegas. You're up all night and you're, you're at the craps table and you're just, you're, you're powering through. I, I didn't quite understand this one. Um, but then, uh, let's see. By the way, where are you on the money versus immunity question? Cause like, money. I, of money. course, right. Like you don't have enough confidence that you can't finish in the top nine out of 10. Like you don't belong on the show anyway. Right. Exactly. Take money, 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 money every single time. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. But I do want to ask, where is the, the level here? Let's say episode seven, top chef, you're in the middle of the season. 
you're offered immunity. How much, if we're going to do an auction, is going to be that that dollar? What? It, how much is the immunity well, worth? So Tom, I, I think, think you have to raise the stakes. Like, I think it's like that's an easy one. It's when you get to like the final five, do you take the immunity? Yeah. I'm like, hmm. Like, how small does the contestant pool have to be when you say, "All right, screw the money. I'm so close. I'll take the immunity." If it but buys then there's the whole money. like, uh, you know, Jamie Lynch factor, who where he's like, "Screw immunity. I don't want to. I don't want to stay in the competition. I want to do it on fair grounds." Yeah. Right. It's so controversial, and it's totally like, you know, who you are. Who you are as a chef, I think, because like the whole idea of immunity. Like, are you still going forth and putting? Are you truly putting forward your best foot? And if you end up in the bottom, are you going to go, oh, well, I had immunity, so I was just doing whatever I wanted to do. Like, I was just playing around. And then make everybody else mad at you because everyone knows that you're totally fucking bullshitting because you don't just make whatever you want to make whatever you want. You try and win every single time. So, I don't know. I think... Yeah, if it's if it's the last episode and it's whether you go to the finals or not. I think I might take the immunity. I think how, I might do how it. How much money? Is the money higher though? Is yeah, it like, does Tom, the do money take, go up to like fifty thousand, twenty thousand? See now so we're talking like, Jen. Now we're talking. So I, if I if it's mm, it also depends where I'm at in my life. If uh if I got another kid coming along or if I got a, a new car I want to get, or if I got to put some down payments on new restaurants, whatever it is, it's going to, it's going to change the factor here, but definitely 15,000 was an easy call um, for Kevin here. I feel like, but if it was like a thousand dollars, I think he might, nah, no, I think still you're taking a thousand dollars. Yeah. I mean, I think we're still pretty like early on and I think Kevin knew, like was pretty confident in his, in his skills and knew, but yeah, like a thousand, a thousand dollars and you're unsure if you, if you're unsure and haven't done, or you've been in the bottom, maybe you take that immunity. You know, Top Chef screws with your head. (laughs) Um, Kevin won with a, uh, I mean, he's really good at this. Like he, you know, he get he does the, you're basically a bon me without the baguette, right? Like a char-grilled mm-hmm. pork, the marinated daikon, that Vietnamese herb salad. It was like sort of the, the low-carb style bon me. He's just, I mean, he's a really good contestant. You even see it back then. He just knows how to do this. He knows how to put flavor combinations together, and he may not cook those certain things, but he eats those things. He knows what works, right? You know, it's not like he only eats what he cooks, so... He's he's very very smart in many different ways. So you guys, elimination. Yeah, we're, you're going uh, from from the uh, not last chance kitchen from the quick fire. You're not told really what your elimination challenge is, but did you have kind of a hint that you might be cooking at home? Yeah, because they they you know they always but they always did that then like you you literally had no idea because they would lead you with something and so you we were always like on our toes looking out the windows or like you hear a car pull up and you're like is it gail is it padma is padma gonna walk through the door and tell us like we're doing something or is it just they're switching over crews that are in the house and you know it's a pa coming with snacks for the camera guys or something like that so but like we were always on edge and when Padma and Lee like you know leaves you hanging 
it's totally on purpose. Like you see all of us, like something's going down here. Like we we're all like something's going down and like, and when we walk into the house, the pantry is just fully stocked. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more pots and pans out. There's like the plates out and we're like, everyone's like, yeah, this is not a nice dinner for all of us to just enjoy (laughs) and like sit back. So we were all kind of like on edge waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Um, I typically love challenges where the chefs are fighting over space and infrastructure because I just think (laughs) it's, it's like a surefire recipe for conflict. And, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I'm not above that as a viewer. I'd like to see a little conflict, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I mean, the lovey-dovey of season 17 was wonderful just because the level of cooking was so great. It didn't matter that there was no conflict. Gotta say, like a little conflict. And um, so you guys are going to work in pairs to prepare. Like, basically, each of the five teams will prepare one family-style dish. And you get paired with Kevin. Um, both of you... As I mean, throughout your seasons, they're just really good at working with like a one person team, except when that one person gets sick or whatever. I mean, in your yeah. case, but like, <laughs> like just, I think congenitally you're collaborative. There's no ego there. It's just like, Hey, let's just be a pragmatic, creative team. Let's put our heads together and come up with something. So like watching y'all cook together was and come up with the thing. And it was, and you guys were so smart about what you came up with. Yeah. We listen, like, Number one, Kevin's very easy to work with. So I was always happy whenever I got paired with him. And, you know, like I knew there wasn't going to be any tension. And like you said, like the ego's taken out because we want to make, make it the best as we possibly can. And really like you have to use each other's strengths in order to win. You can't, when you're in a team, you can't really go at it alone because that's when that's when shit goes down and like it doesn't turn out the way that you think it's going to turn out. So, you know, Kevin and I, like we first start looking and literally like we're pulling everything out of Tom Douglas's bag and we're like, where is the protein? Where is the protein? What are we going to get? And we're looking around and everyone's like, I got this, I got this fish and I got this. And then finally, like when we got down to like the Kobe beef ribs and we realized what they were, we were so happy. We're like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be easy. And like, like Kevin, like this is our whole like profile. We thought about cooking, serving and how they were going to eat it, how the sauce was going to be like having that extra crunch of the raw like pear on top with the crispy bok choy and the segments of orange along with, you know, Kevin was going to focus on cooking the meat. I was going to focus on making the sauce. And then we came together at the end to plate and talking the whole time, communicating with each other is really, truly important. <laughs> When you're when you're out there and you know that you have to draw knives, are you mm-hmm. just thinking in your head? Do you have a draft order in your head, like a, uh, a power rankings of which chef you want to be paired with? Yeah, of course, of course. Do you want to I reveal mean, them here? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say you did an amazing job with Michael Voltaggio a few episodes earlier. Mm-hmm. You guys had worked together, and it was as if you guys were together working as a team for years yeah we should have won that one (laughs) yeah I think we should have won that one you know who Brian Brian and Lorene won and that that, me me and Michael took that one for sure I'm like hmm but yeah it's it's playing you know Michael and I also have like sort of the same similar background the same cooking style 
and could really understand exactly what we wanted. And so it's just, it's easy. It's easy to work with people that have progressed to the same levels that you have and that, you know, have that same background and that same understanding and the same mentality of making things as perfect as possible. So yeah, it was very easy to work with him as well. So as um, everyone was going through the ingredients, like kind of, as you said, rifling through, like we have this, Ashley said something that just completely sparked an idea for me, which is she's like, yeah, and we've got duck for days. Duck for days. Duck I would totally eat at a restaurant called duck for days. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, Jen, as I've been saying on this show, I've discovered duck at, in my home cooking. Near you in Lancaster, there mm-hmm. is a farm that just has the best duck and I've been getting shipped it shipped out to Los Angeles like 25 pounds at a time. No and way. Every, every Tuesday I do a confit and I do breasts. And so it's Shut duck up. two ways at my house and I, and I get the, st- <laughs> I'm just showing off. Cause like, you know, you're, you're like an amazing chef and I'm just, I'm just sort of, you know, doing that thing. And um, I take like the plums during the summer stone mm-hmm. fruit season. And I make like a, like a, I don't know, like a, it's not a, chutney it's more um like a pickle or a ferment no 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 no, no. more like a um like a sauce um you know compote or maybe a little red wine vinegar and that's all i need because it's so lovely and sweet and i just do that breast i've learned how to like render the fat meanwhile in my fridge and my partners just thinks it's hilarious there must be like seven pints of really good duck fat i've strained and i was I just, just gonna know, ask you like what are you doing with all the duck fat <laughs> like using it with everything and like giving it to friends who cook and just yes. saying like i mean who leaves who sends their dinner guests away with hey this is your thank you for coming here is a pickle jar worth of duck fat um I would but be is, so happy if I left bags. your house like that. <laughs> you have the best goodie bags, Kevin. Guys, I swear, like, who knew? Like, I'm not saying it's easy, but once you learn, I mean, first of all, confit, you just, like, salt it and throw it in, like a mm-hmm. Dutch oven. Like, who knew? And then it's, like, breast, like, once you get the rendering, you kind of get the timing, and, you know, it's, like, why have I not been cooking duck at home for, like, my entire life? Cooking anything. And, I mean, that goes into cooking, like, it's not as hard as everybody thinks that everybody is so intimidated by it. If you just get in the kitchen and start doing it and yeah, all right, maybe you watch a YouTube video, maybe you watch a show or read a, you know, read something. And if you try it, you only get better at cooking by practice. It's, it's the only way you get better by making mistakes and figuring out how to fix those mistakes and fix those failures and moving on, you know, have fun. Speaking of mistakes and getting over adversity, um, Michael Voltaggio and Ash had a circuit breaker issue where the power was going out. And I wanted to ask you, Jen, when Michael Voltaggio is asking, hey, can I borrow your outlet right here? Are you just shouldering him out of the way? <laughs> Sadly, no. Maybe, maybe you know, I think he was, he was up against enough and I could see the demise of like what was going on because their circuits were popping the entire time and honestly they should have made that move a lot sooner than you know waiting because the circuits kept popping from the very start so it was just that room or was it it was just it was just that room because they were they had multiple i mean he said it he was very smart right you think he's very smart because he's setting up 
his whole like catering style kitchen. He's got like induction burners. He has the wok boiling water. He had like the electric griddle. So he was really smart because he's like, all right, I'm going to take this whole room for prep. I don't need to fight with anybody, but because all of the stuff that's like overloading and what you guys don't see the behind the scenes stuff, there's lights plugged into there, you know, there's like all Mm. other stuff. And so every, every like couple minutes, like his circuit was popping. He should have moved out a lot sooner than he did, but Michael, yeah. Michael's, Michael's pretty strong-willed and just kept going with it until he was like, "All right, I, I need to ask for for some room." So, so Mike and Ash, and this is across seasons. It, this happens. There's a certain dynamic between when there's a two chef team. There are all these unstated realities, like. They're in the same competition, but they both know that Voltaggio is the more advanced, more experienced, and more creative chef. But it's not like he's going to be a dick and say, like, I talk and you listen. Because if you do, you know, but, and like, oh, by the way, Ash, if you just skate with me, like, I, you will skate to the next challenge. Yeah. Like, you, you mm-hmm. like, you might even learn something. Trust me. Um, and it is funny to see at times, I mean, where it becomes really amusing as a viewer when it's one chef who's not decidedly better than the mm-hmm. other who kind of pulls that alpha card and just says, Hey, you know, this is, I you're along for the it. ride. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, that whole dynamic was, it was, it was weird. Like, you know, yes. Was is Michael Voltaggio at that time, like in their lives, was he a better chef? He's, he's a different style chef. He has a lot more experience in a way. And Ash was trying to skate with him and, and trying to go along with him. And, you know, like I said earlier, like collaboration, you need to play on each other's strengths, like not just kind of ignoring people. You know, but I like, think if Ash had a little more confidence to speak up, you know, I don't know. But he also recognized that. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about butcher box. Butcher box is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. 
I'm going to, he, you know, you're like, well, I'm just going to listen because I could win this challenge. Like like Kevin, Matisse Teibel is not going to steal the ball away from Joel Embiid and be like, it's my shot in crunch time. Like everyone knows Embiid's got the last shot and Mm -hmm. it's going to really disrupt the locker room if he just starts pulling rank and just decides I'm going to, I'm going to take every shot here because I I believe I I should be the star player. Um, Ash, I would have done the same thing if I were in Ash's shoes. I don't think I would have asserted myself more because I knew that Michael needed to be driving that car or -hmm. else you're not going to get the best Mike Voltaggio. And so without the circuit breaker issue, I think they might've been in the top. Yeah. I mean, I listen, they, Everything was nicely done. It was nicely plated. The ravioli came out nice, but also Tom. Egg yolk ravioli. They didn't like it. it Tom didn't like it. Tom didn't like having the, because when you put that ravioli on top of what was supposed to be the crispy pancetta, it then takes that crispness away. So they didn't, so they didn't like that. I mean, I don't know. Who the heck knows what the judges think? <laughs> you think you know, and you're totally wrong half the time. You know, one of the things that dawns on me when Tom and, and it was, we had so much fun watching you like play, like, like you like devoid Tom, like playing hide and seek in the kitchen a couple of weeks ago. But um, it does dawn on me with Tom, you know, He's not really asking questions to get inside your head. He's actually not all the deceptive. If he looks skeptical, if you say, hey, prawns on time of Noki, chances are it's, he's legitimately skeptical. Like Everyone is always like, oh, he's playing mind games with you. It's like, no, he actually doesn't have a poker face. Like If he thinks what you're doing is weird, it will, it'll look like that's what he thinks. If he's curious about what you're doing or finds it you know, fascinating and intriguing, like he'll look potentially fascinated and intriguing and and sometimes, so it's not, uh, sometimes those looks are confusing though because <laughs> oh, you're like yeah. are you fascinated and intrigued or are you like why are you doing that <laughs> in, in, interesting mm. <laughs> you know if he gives a very ambiguous like hmm, mm-hmm. okay yeah. also okay are you sure do we you still have that? <laughs> yeah also how weird was that color commentary cut away so to tom weird. with a vegas skyline behind him like his little halftime analysis which like we just totally don't get anymore <laughs> right i'm like i'm trying to re- i'm trying to remember what did what happened i'm like i okay. watched i watched it again this morning but so so um usually when tom does the the uh you know walking into the kitchen and asking you questions that's it there's no like recap like hey oh. tom Kalikia, what did you think about what jen said in the kitchen like we there is no recap of the recap so in this episode we got a little cutaway to a confessional tom Kalikia about hey what was the report you know and i was like i thought we already did the report <laughs> yeah you know it's funny to see some things that for me that have changed over the years and going back in the different styles of production and just even the differences in the kitchens and like how they're stocked. But yeah, the way that Tom was like, but even when he was at like the table and he was like, okay, well, Jen Carroll, like he was literally like hosting the whole thing and being like directing Jen Carroll and Kevin Gillespie made a Korean barbecue with a fragrant cardamom tomato chutney broth. And you know, like that was, that was weird too. I think. uh, Is there anything else that you picked up on and you're like, oh yeah, we don't do that anymore. Or things that you, you were like, oh, it's a good thing we do this now. Um, stew room. There's pretty much minimal stew room because they have all of the chefs 
in the in the judge at the judges table for majority of it so you're only in the stew room for god not that long at all is that a torture chamber yeah it well it used to be (laughs) it used to be and now it's now the stew room is like leather couches and you know drinks with like any type of coffee water tea you know beer wine and then there's food there's snacks like there's plenty of room to spread out and on season six we're literally in a closet (laughs) with metro racks and we're laying on like a dirty floor because we're tired (laughs) and we have like uncomfortable folding chairs and we're in there for eight hours and just like yeah really it sucks yeah and like (laughs) i'm assuming like 45 minutes you guys are in there Mm-mm. So the, <laughs> there is a major difference in production of how quick judges table is now and how quickly they make the decision as opposed to 10 years ago, season six. So literally like we sitting in between the winners. So are we, are we up to that part yet? Like, so yeah, yeah. I, I want to ask you about one yeah. thing. Okay. The level of disdain for Robin is astounding. She is treated like Piggy in Lord of the Flies. And I mean, you know, it's just, I don't know if that's the editing, but, and I'm not trying to put you in an awkward position, but it's just like, I don't, it, like, it, look, she seems annoying, but it got to the point with me where it was just like, oh, be charitable. Like, this is a person, you know, I know everyone's under stress, but like the level, I don't recall another season where there was this kind, and it's a certain kind, it's not like somebody who, I mean, the truth is she is struggling, but the truth is she's probably not um, as adept a chef as the rest of you, but it's just like, it's kind of uncomfortable. It is, and it was living with it because Robin was my other roommate. So during the season, like when we first got there, you know, I had Ashley and Robin. It was the three of us in our bedroom. And yes, people did not get along with Robin. People could not stand her. People were extremely annoyed and very frustrated with her and for me, does she talk a lot? Does she say everything that's on her mind? Yeah. I just zone her out. Like, I'm just <laughs> like, you can't let it bother you because she got under like everybody's skin. And instead of, you know, I don't know, my mom always taught me to treat everybody the same and treat everybody with fairness and to be friends with everybody. And I still carry that way. And I still believe that whether, you know, whether I, no, I'm going to be good friends with them or not. Like you still treat people with respect, no matter what, whether you, you know, we're living together. We're, it's different. Like you have to be civil. And she just was not treated with a lot of civility um, from a lot of the other chefs. And it was, it was kind of disappointing to see because we are adults, (laughs) you know, we're not, you, you kind of get converted into this, you know, I don't know, like school, school kid. It is because there's zero interaction with the outside world. It's it's like being on a desert island because there's nothing else to do except for interact with each other. Um, it also dawns on me. I mean, I think it's clear what became a level a, a source of frustration for everybody else is not just the yapping, but watching 
people you perceive as inordinately better chefs go home mm-hmm. and watch someone else squeak by. Like I've noticed that in other seasons where it isn't personal, where, you know, it's just, Oh, come on. Like, like to watch Ashley go home. I mean, Ashley's really good. And mm-hmm. she'd also been cooking her ass off. And that was one of the heartbreaks of this episode was yeah. she'd had a lot of good weeks. She'd really been cooking well, but yeah, I think that's the, that see also seemed to me as much of a source of irritation was, I can't believe she's still in the competition when other better chefs have gone home. It 1000% was a conversation and it was a conversation probably a little too much and a little bit too out loud and a little bit, you know, where it was just, it ended up being just straight up mean to her. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I, I honestly, I, I felt bad for her. She would get up and like do yoga in the morning and, she ended up trying to like separate herself and I I don't know, like she is a good person, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame, but you know, like I also like, I liked, I liked quiet. Like I like to like think and I like to focus, especially going from like challenge to challenge. And so whenever like we would go to the grocery store to go shopping, I would strategically hold back a little bit and see, you know, not just where Robin was going, but where everybody was going and then decide which car I was going to get in because I knew, number one, if there was a certain chef that I wanted to bounce an idea off of, which was pretty much never because I always kind of stayed in my own head. Um, But it was also, I knew who the talkers were. Robin would talk the whole time. And that was also a source of frustration for people because they would be like, can you please be quiet? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to like put together my dish. And she just talked about her dish to everybody and kind of interrupted their own flow. I didn't um, realize that. So you, you, the producers don't give you the car assignments. You can actually strategically pick your car. Yes. Oh. So yeah, you know, a little so bit of when, strategy there. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't share that strategy with anybody, <laughs> <laughs> but. I mean, there's, there's, there's multiple different strategies that you can do. Also like at the grocery store at Whole Foods, I took, you know, I took the entire time to shop, whether I was done shopping or not, because I was going up and down the aisles and seeing what they had there and preparing myself mentally for the next shop. So there's different tricks that I I guess you you do to make yourself have a better chance. And they were just two of the things that I did consistently. So uh, on the top uh, was Brian Beltaggio and Lorene. They did a plan hosted halibut, halibut over a corn cake with a sherry. Of course Brian does a halibut. Yeah. 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 Um, (laughs) By the way, I find how, I mean, Jen, I find halibut. It's so lean that I I feel like I've never made a great piece of halibut. And, you know, it's just, it's a tough, I like fattier fish. And maybe because I'm a very intermediate chef, it's just like, I've tried halibut. I love it in restaurants. I can never get it here. You get it dry. You dry it out all the time. Yeah. I just feel like it doesn't have that succulence that, you know, like they, frankly, good restaurants have. I'll cook cook you halibut and change your life. Yeah. No, I I love it. It just doesn't love me. It's, you should poach it. I can give you a poaching liquid and it's not just pure water. It's made with a slurry and some other flavor and like Pernod and a little bit of like cardamom store anise. You know, you can leave that out, but having a poaching liquid that is not made of water or stock that has, uh, 
a heavier fat content in it, it will push and keep all of the liquid and moisture in. So I personally don't like seared halibut. I like poached halibut. Or if you poach it in olive oil, it will keep it much more succulent and moist and juicy and i think the flavor and texture that you're looking for so i I tried it (laughs) i tried it poaching it in butter like butter poaching and it was gross like i had that slime (laughs) on it like i got that little slime and it was just like greasy and Uh, i'm just doing it wrong i'm just i'll jen got really excited when you said butter poached and then yeah oh but all right well then i got that slime so yeah, all right. Go yeah, my um, po- go my poaching okay. liquid method. I'm seriously gonna text you. Like I want your poaching liquid. And also, I love cardamom. It is like my favorite. I was so happy. Cardamom is my favorite flavor. It's that Turkish coffee mm-hmm. yumminess. I just love that spice. Yes, me too. I can use it in anything. Sweet, savory, all the time. So, did you know that you had a winning dish? I knew it was good. Yeah. I knew I knew it was good. I knew the meat was like cooked perfectly. It was marinated nicely. I I know like the the extra like the citrus and the pear uh, on top. Like the dish had everything it needed. And just looking around, I really thought that we were on the top. But again, like you question yourself and you question what the judges are going to like. And you have a bunch of different chefs that you haven't cooked for yet the entire season. So you don't know what they're going to be saying because their opinions, you know, might not fully end like fully matter in the end, but when they are saying stuff, you know, they're all listening. So like Gail and Tom or, and Padma and Toby are all, are all listening and, and hearing what they're saying. So it can definitely, what they say can skew their opinions of the dish. Tell us about your broth. So I made the winning broth, the winning broth, winning broth, (laughs) also a great Um, restaurant. Like you beat five proteins with your broth. Come on. I mean, that is, that is a, just a badass win. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty good at making sauces. (laughs) Um, maybe not, maybe not on the top chef all stars, but, (laughs) (laughs) uh, sauces are one of my completely favorite things to do. And this broth is still one of the sauces and broths that I make to this day. And I made it with like a base of tomatoes and ginger, uh, garlic Mm -hmm. and shallots. And when I was sweating them all out, I had a ton of cardamom and star anise, a little bit of fennel seed and let that all completely sweat out and release all of their flavors and aromatics. And then when you say sweat out, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. I want to, so what do you mean when you say sweat out? Like if I'm going to do this, Okay, so a medium to low heat. So I'm not getting any caramelization on it. I'm letting all of the vegetables and aromatics. And no oil or butter in. or anything like that. No fat. Uh, I do I do a little bit of oil. Well, for this one, I do a little bit of a neutral oil. I did grapeseed oil. And I do about a tablespoon of butter. So I do a mixture. Okay. And I put the oil in first, let the oil coat the bottom of the pan. And then I add the butter. And then I add my garlic and shallots first. I wait a minute, let them get soft. Then I add my ginger, let that get soft. And I always add ginger in at the end too, to give it that pop and like refreshing, um, not refreshing, but just like that liveliness where that bite comes back at you. Uh, there is, I put some citron vinegar in there. So like one of my favorite vinegars to use. So it had a little bit of like tanginess and it had the acid from the tomatoes breaking down and 
all of that. So it was just super light, but hearty enough to stand up to the fattiness of the Kobe beef without being heavy. So I think that's really what made the dish win because it wasn't one note. It wasn't like heavy and heavy or wasn't too light to stand up to the meat. Did you strain it then? Yes. Okay. And then it creates this like lovely broth. And how did y'all serve it? Like beef, was it sitting in the broth or... So I, I kept the, the broth on the side. And then when we got out to the table, I poured the broth table side into, mm. into the plate. So we chose a platter that we could slice the meat super thin. So it was really easy to eat and easy to chew. So when eating it, uh, medium rare to rare, it broke down nicely in your mouth, and then we poured the warm broth, not directly on the meat, but around. So bringing it out in the saucier keeps it hot and warm, and then like it also that like that smell just like it comes out and like takes over the whole table because it was super. Coming out right now, I'm smelling right? it it's as like, you're talking. I'm like I'm so like hungry right fragrance. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like so that was like that's like another trick that you can do. Um, is keep everything on the side and then put it together when, uh, you know, when you're at a restaurant and you have table side service come out, it's, it's different. Not all restaurants can do that. Not all. It's not the style for everything, but you know, having that one little like last extra step, you know, takes it to the next level. So, so when, when you're, um, when you're up there serving to the, to the guests, um, they knew that you did the broth then, or did you discuss it more off or we didn't get to kind of see the, the super big discussion uh, at judges table, but did, did you, they talk a lot about your broth uh, that didn't make it to air? Cause they quickly, they quickly kind of did a little analysis and then they moved on. Oh yeah. I mean, they, they asked me kind of just like what you guys did. How did I make it? What did I put into it? Yeah. How long did it take to cook? How did I develop that much flavor in it in such a short time in a home kitchen? All of that. So they asked me all of those things and they talked about how they were eating it, you know, off of the plate. But because I, I served it in the saucier, there was extra and I left it on the table and they ended mm. up passing the sauce mm, boat all around and they were, feeling. and they were all eating it like soup. So it, it kind of became its own dish in that sense. So that definitely helped me out too, because they could see it completely alone too. Um, it seemed like one of the errors um, of, of the, uh, so Michael Voltaggio, like unusually on the bottom with Ash mm-hmm. and, uh, and then Eli and Ash Lee, um, they did a carbonara halibut that just apparently, as the judges said, you know, the pancetta uh, wrap that it was wrapped in wasn't crisp. And then, you know, just a, a, a sort of a, they didn't nail the textures and then the egg yolk ravioli, which by the way, I have had, um, he is a, he, he, Voltaggio is really into sort of egg yolk pastas. And yeah. I actually just last week out of, out of, as a coincidence, I was talking about the egg yolk gnocchi that he had in ink it was like, it was one of those dishes we had to order two of at the table for four because I needed my own and I wasn't going to share. <laughs> That I've had that before oh, at Ink, and it is delicious. His food so is so good. his food is so good. So good. You know, I'll tell you what. He got adventurous in the quick fire, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna totally win because he's gonna do some crazy like modernist technique. Um, and it's funny, look at like you were saying, like looking back to ten years ago, like trending. I'm like, 
that dish that he made with like the the curd and the cracker, that was very forward thinking back then. And yes. now I'm just like, oh, okay, like no, we don't <laughs> do that anymore. It's kind of like old, you know. It's so funny <laughs> looking yeah. back. My partner makes so much fun of me because. He just is like, yeah, Kevin likes a hibiscus ice with some piece of cheese. And like, you know, like Eric loves just like the gooey, lovely. And who doesn't, right? Like, I mean, he right. just like, like a, a, the Cinnabon Sunday or something or, or just like a, a gooey espresso tiramisu with like. He and, loved and Robin's dish last week, the, the cobbler or the. That is him. And, yeah. and by the way, bless his heart. I'm just, he just makes so much fun of me because I started loving those sort of like herbaceous olive oil cake like anything that sounded like something that shouldn't be in a dessert was my favorite yeah (laughs) seaweed cracker like what right (laughs) you know what i loved about this episode the moment when ash had had definitively ceded the reins to um to michael voltaggio there was this exchange that i wrote down because it was just so perfect was when, when clearly Michael is just making the calls on everything and he's like, you know, I was thinking a, a carbonara and, uh, and Ash goes, Oh yeah, yeah. I was totally thinking that too. And we could do, we could do a, a, a carbonara deconstructed. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. And I was just like, there's no way Ash was really thinking that he was just like, Oh yeah, I was totally thinking that there too. So yeah, good, good call there. That, but Ash is also, he's very, very funny. So he, he was also just like kind of making fun of himself. Like, well, yeah, of course, who wouldn't think that? Like, yeah, totally. He'd be stupid if you would, right? So like that was kind of Ash making fun of himself, which is funny. Like, I think he also said, made like some line that was like, oh yeah, I was thinking to make like some charred radicchio. He goes, and then Michael says, no, let's make an asparagus coolie. I was like, oh yeah, well, yeah, duh. Duh, of course. I mean, who doesn't do an asparagus coolie there? Yeah. yeah. I really like Ash, but there's a certain level of obsequiousness that just makes everyone uncomfortable when you're just such a bootlicker. Like I, I just, like I was cringing on Voltaggio's behalf. Like I really like Ash, but it's like, like it, it just was uncomfortable for everyone. And clearly Tom just thought he was a doormat for being that way like it's just he got carried away there didn't he yeah tom does not like when you express a lack of confidence he is like he's not gonna like shed a tear for you it's like then what are you doing here is always his response basically yeah and he like that i mean that he basically said well should we just send you home right now you're Mm. telling us that you're not going to go on to the end you're telling us that you have no chance of winning and then you see like ash kind of pedal back and be like well no obviously i can be here i cook good food michael who i think is a great chef overcooked fish and you know like it it definitely i know it made michael uncomfortable because he came back and he's like ash you didn't have to say all that like thank you thank you but like you you didn't have to say all that which is you know it's nice that he said thank you but it's it's kind of you know it was unexpected and everyone's like wait what did you say what did you say (laughs) yeah so did you did you feel the brotherly dynamic a lot with the voltagios because you could clearly see when kevin is just like poking brian like oh what what did it taste like this and brian was just i don't want to hear it right now it it looked i've never seen brian that annoyed that was him standing up for his brother man the older brother protector came out like it was like he was like the lion like back up 
Yeah. He was so mad. Like he, I, like I remember that moment like very clearly because Brian just was so angry that Michael was in the bottom and that there was a chance of him going home. And as soon as Kevin started talking, like, I mean, he like bites his head off and Kevin's like, Ooh, but then I think Kevin's like, Hmm, um, how can I get in here? Because you know, their friendship, the Voltagios and Kevin, you know, we're not super close then because it, they were, you know, it was, it was Michael and Brian the entire time talking and collaborating and pushing each other forward and helping each other in the kitchen. But also they were so extremely competitive with each other. And you see, like, you see that you see like in the preview for the next show, you see them fighting. And that was, that was not a untypical thing like happening in the kitchen. You could see when one beat the other, how they would kind of get mad and like want, like really want to beat the other one, but they did not want the other one to go home and they did not want anybody speaking anything bad about the other one. So, you know, it's funny because it was really interesting to observe like a stressed out Michael Voltaggio in the holding tank, right? Like it doesn't happen very often. And it, it, that was just, it, it's, it's a thing you don't see. And so it was interesting to watch. Yeah. He, uh, listen, Michael was also, he was very, he was very hard on himself at literally every single challenge. <laughs> Up until this point, he's like, I'm going home. I, I have the worst dish. I'm going home every single time. And we were, I like it. Finally, we're just like, all right, Michael, shut up. <laughs> like, but I think that's kind of how we all were because we just, you literally just pick apart every single piece of your dish. And, you know, it's not, a lot of the times it's not the excellence that you would provide if you were in your own restaurant because you're not under the stress and the constraints. So, so yeah, it's, it's crazy. So you, you win, Jen. Mm-hmm. And then how long is the time? Cause this just rocked my world. How long is the time between you come back into the stew room. I'm the winner and I got my 10K to let's find out who gets sent home. How long a time? So we, so we, know, so we come back in, we, you know, I say I'm the winner, la la. And then we announce who is going in next. Right. And when we announce who's going in next, we usually sit there for a good like 15 minutes to 30 minutes. At least I can't remember now. It's like 10 years ago, but we would sit there and you would get like the reaction of the people like going in and like get like that emotion. And like they start ripping apart their own dishes and thinking and getting in their own heads and kind of preparing what they're going to say as a defense to the judges. Um, so, so that all goes down. I mean, Sometimes it was a half an hour. Sometimes it was longer. It's really like the the schedule, the production. Um, and sometimes it's just the judges are still trying to figure out who they're going to send home. So I, we could be like, hey, you guys are going in. And it could have been hours because the judges still weren't sure, even though they haven't heard the whole story yet. And then you could stand at judges' table for at least like two, three hours And just standing there and like, you're not moving. Like you're in that spot, like just like dying. And like, there were like times when like, they'd be like, "Mm." there was one time where they're like, "Mm, we're not sure. So everyone go back into stew room. And you're like, what? (laughs) 
what do you mean go back in the stew room? And that's like when they change their mind on like what's going to happen. And then they send you back to the stew room. The eliminated chef goes away. And then you sit back in the stew room and you talk about the winner. You talk about who went home. You talk about everything. And that could be another two hours because back then production was like, we want to get the story. We want to make sure we get it. And all of the chefs on my season, like we would just be tired. We were doing like 17, 20 hour days easily. And we would just at the end, after everything would happen, we would go, okay, we're done. We'll give you like 10 minutes of what we want to like talk about. And then we would just like put our heads down and stop talking. (laughs) And the producers uh, caught on pretty quickly and didn't appreciate it. And they're like, you guys, you're wasting, you think you're being smart by wasting like our film and our time and our labor, but we are going to continue shooting until you start talking. And so we're like, oh. It's wow. like a North Korean prison. <laughs> we're like, like, I mean, that this, did not work. <laughs> but um, Meanwhile, did y'all notice that like, at the judges' table on the chopping block, the contestants, the chef contestants, they were doing social distancing before social distancing was cool. Like everyone's like six feet apart, and I've noticed. Like obviously, that's a that's a from the very beginning thing, and it's right. like, hey, so they were doing. They were the first to ever do social distancing. Did you also notice <laughs> that the the lead in with Padma was like? During these hard economic times, everyone's doing dinner parties at home now. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is feeling like on the nose right now. I mean, I totally felt the same way. And I'm like, and I was thinking, I'm like, okay, I'm sick. And before, like, you worked through being sick. These times, no way. Like, <laughs> you, are yeah. not, you are not being allowed in the kitchen at all. But then, yeah, the dinner parties, talking about hunger, right? And so... These are all issues that are still prevalent today, and it's still something that chefs continually rally around to help our communities and to feed the hungry. And it it just it felt old, but it also felt very current at the same time to what is going on right now. So I thought that was a weird connect as well. You know, one of the things that occurred to me is this was one of the tougher interrogations, I recall. You know, we always talk about like, oh, the zinger, uh, the judges are mean to the chefs that are on the bottom. But to me, the real stress is when the judges, you know, don't do the outright insults, but just keep peppering you with questions. Yeah. Like, it's far more stressful. And it's almost like, it's not always like that. And this time, it was just these interrogations that kept going. And you felt with each question Tom delivered, it got more and more stressful. Yeah, it's it's intense. And even when you're when you're in the winner's circle, too, like, they do that same interrogation. And you're like, they're playing you off each other, right? You're trying uh, yeah. to get someone to reveal something that otherwise. Exactly. They're playing your emotions. They're playing to see like exactly how you're going to answer. They're playing to see like how you're going to react, how you're going to take that extra additional pressure. But like in the, in the winter circle, they're like, well, why did you solve that? Even if they think you won, if you say something wrong and they're like, oh, well, you didn't mean to do that. Well, then maybe maybe you shouldn't win. So it's like, it's crazy, but it's funny. Like on this episode, you see, you see Michael take responsibility 
for the wrong, the wrongdoings, like immediately, like he knew what he did wrong. He automatically accepted responsibility. Ashley did the same thing. And then it's like funny, like you see Ash, you know, totally acting like a sous chef and, you know, basically saying, send me home and Eli not taking any responsibility at all. So it's for me, like seeing the dynamic and the level of leadership uh, with those four chefs, I was just like, you can see who is actually higher up and more progressed along in like their career at, at that moment too. Ash, Ash shouldn't have been sent home or Ashley should not have been sent home. I agree. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, that, I thought it was a really tough elimination. Yeah. Like she, um, it's part of her personality though that she's not going to rat another guy out um, on nope. the show. So it's almost like her Achilles heel is that she's too sweet. Yep. In, in that instance, she should have been like, no, he ruined the dish with the salt. And that was not me. That was him. But she's right. not and willing she, to do and, that. And she took the leadership role because Eli was too afraid to cook the prawns because he was too afraid to mess them up because he knew if he cooked them, up, cooked them and messed them up that he would be going home. So he refused to do it. And so she said, okay, well, I'll do it. You can cook my gnocchi that I just made. Like she <laughs> made – I. It's, that's kind of weird. Like that would be like, okay, Kevin, I'm going to start this sauce, but you finish it. Uh, that's just not something that you do. Like yeah. you have, you have ownership over something. And I think she was trying to be the leader and the nice person in the situation. And it, and it sent her home. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, meanwhile, I have to tell you raw. One of the best things I've ever eaten in my life was in Tokyo. I had a, a raw, like a sashimi, spot prawn so it was like, mm-hmm. like yeah they're undercooked but i really like undercooked spot prawns and that also was like my... undercooked chicken kevin so... i know i like undercooked <laughs> any protein it's just kind of funny i'm weird that way yeah i mean i'm gonna um... die from like salmonella. <laughs> jen is it just kevin or are there people out there that you know that like sashimi not sashimi chicken but like a a, a translucent center chicken it's not just Kevin because they do do a chicken, like a chicken uh, ceviche or a chicken sashimi over in China. Like they serve raw chicken in China. Um, me, I'm probably not going for it unless, yep. unless I know the farmer and I know exactly where I'm getting it and I'm the one who's handling it. I'm sorry. Like you're very brave, Kevin. Oh, I can't. By the way, I can't defend this. I just think raw <laughs> poultry is delicious. Like, this is, like, there's no defense. I'm going to get. I mean, hopefully at this point, I filled up a tolerance. But Wait, I am so no you more like, like that. You like that texture? I love that texture. It's like a scallop, like a raw oh. scallop. It, that's the texture. I'm not. Again, okay. I cannot defend this, and I'm almost embarrassed that I even confess <laughs> this. And and like if yeah, it's. But I just love it. I'm sorry. I just do. Good for you. See, cooking, tasting food is subjective. <laughs> so, uh, Tom Colicchio says, "Were you happy with the dish?" Now, of all the things that Tom Colicchio can tell you or ask you, that's got to be up there on the most uh, nerve-wracking question to get from Tom, right? Were you happy oh, right. with the dish? Uh, right. How do you play that? He wants to see if you are going to admit your if he's if you're going to admit your admit your mistakes if you're going to defend it and you know go all in and be like yes this is exactly how i wanted it to be this is exactly what i planned and that's 
a question that he really turns around on so many chefs and it brings a lot of chefs to their knees because they answer it. You lose both ways, right? <laughs> because you're admitting, you're admitting what you did wrong and they might not have seen everything that you've did wrong. They might not have caught everything you did wrong, but all of a sudden now you're like, Oh, well, you know, I was supposed to add this on or I, was I think I was a little heavy-handed with this, and then the judges go, "Oh, you know what? Yeah, you're right." And so now they're talking about that. But then if you're like, "My dish was perfect," I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what I wanted. Then they go, "Oh, well, you're failing as a chef because it was clearly burnt. It was clearly overcooked. It was clearly raw." So if you don't have the ability to even see that, then you shouldn't be here. So yeah, you lose both ways. And Tom wins. <laughs> always. <laughs> yep, always. <laughs> so we, uh, so Eli uh, escapes the jaws of, of Top Chef death, and he, uh, and he stays on the show. But Ashley goes home. Uh, you were clearly super emotional about that. You, guys, you talked about how you were uh, roommates with her and how, how wonderful a friend she was to you and still is. But my question is... Um, Looking back on this season, we had uh, you, you were doing really well. Um, you had a few high finishes in the top three, top four. You mm-hmm. had a quick fire win with the again the citron vinegar uh, with mm-hmm. the clam ceviche. Um, but the desert episode, I wanted to ask you: Was it as hellish as it seemed? It looked like a hellscape doing the desert cook for the Cowboys. And were there any sort of anecdotes that you remember from that? Um. It was so hot, and I think the most memorable thing was literally was Ron had this crazy machete or some crazy knife that he was trying to open up a coconut with, and that's that's like the thing that is burned in my brain that was like that moment, and he's like swinging this like knife all around. I'm like, oh my god, he's totally gonna like get me, and I'm like, uh, uh, I don't know. I remember, I remember that. I remember that being. I kind of had fun though. Like it was, it was really hot and it was unexpected. Like I liked sleeping in the tent. Like I like camping. I liked being in the teepee because the sky was gorgeous that night. So, you know, like I guess I'm, I'm blocking out some of the bad things, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Did you try his, <laughs> his cocktail that day? No. <laughs> okay, good. Cause the judges mm-hmm. thought it, it tasted like Pennzoil. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, just in, in closing, um, what are you up to? Um, and what do you hope to be up to in the near future? So with COVID and everything that's going on, I've totally pivoted. And with my culinary experience company, I've gone online and I do a lot of virtual online classes. I have a Patreon channel, which I'm building out the tiers right now. So if you, if anybody wants to go on and subscribe, please do. It's Chef Jen Carroll. You can also find all the information on my Instagram handle. I'm doing, I'm offering classes. I'm offering, um, you know, happy hours to do anything. I've actually done a few really fun quick fires where I'm judging and it's, I give you the time frame. I give you the ingredients. I judge and then I show you what I would make. <laughs> um, so that's been, that's been really, really fun. Uh, you don't get to taste the food, right? No. <laughs> so you're just, you're, you're Instagramming judging. You're just like, exactly. hey, that looks like you cooked that very well. That looks really pretty. That, that's really fascinating. 
yeah so it's but it's funny like i mean you can see if people burn things or you can see if people don't get stuff on the plate and um what else am I doing? I have my restaurant Spice Finch in Philadelphia that we are just starting to like reawaken and we're doing a little bit of outdoor dining and some small like takeout and delivery with a more of a limited menu. But yeah, find me at eatccc.com and reach out to me. I am doing dinners for people in their houses. I'm I'm happy and willing to come and help you organize and show you what to cook, the, what's in your pantry. So, Hey, I am now, in the time you were speaking, mm-hmm. I am now a food enthusiast. I, have, I am now a patron. Yes. I am, I am stoked. And by the way, like, this is great. Like, I mean, I'm, this isn't just a, oh, I'm, I'm supporting a, like a friend. No, this is like, I can't wait. I need, I need to, you know, I need a little more diversity in my, in my rotation and we're not going anywhere for clearly. So it's still like, I got to come up with four or five meals a week. So yeah. this is fantastic. Yeah. Like on Patreon, like what you'll see is um, I'm teaching you how to like for the foodie enthusiasts, I'm teaching you how to build your pantry of like my favorite ingredients and it's going to grow into doing recipes and to giving you a more behind the scenes look than what you get from me on Instagram. So it's a lot more personal and it's a lot more of like a chat that we can have. So it's, it's definitely a lot more fun. (laughs) And you can learn how to poach a halibut. Exactly. I'm like, that can be one of the recipes that I put on. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you guys so much. It's always fun being back and rehashing. <laughs> yeah, that was so cool. When we first watched the first episode of this show, we were, or this season, rewatching it, it was just a time capsule. Right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So fun. Thank well, you so much for bringing those memories back to me. Uh, we, we're going to have to bring you back on because this season is not over. <laughs> I'm ready. I'll be back. <laughs> I will give you one thing, a spice blend I have gotten so into, and it's right up your alley. Do you know what Mekalesha is? No. Ethiopian. Okay, so this is it. Black pepper, cardamom, cinnamon, cloves, cumin, and nutmeg. Really? Oh, yeah. Yes. It is now my spiced yogurt that I put on oh everything. Oh, my gosh. It is like, I didn't, it was like this thing at the Ethiopian market. I'm like, what the hell is that? And I was like, you know, $1.50, I will, you know, get a little container, and it is game changer. I am so into it. It would go great with your raw chicken. (laughs) (laughs) That's the last word. For for Tom Haberstroh, for our amazing guest, Jen Carroll, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Hack Your Knives.